Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, or good evening. Uh, this is Rod Class. Let's get into the Supreme Court issue. A lot of you know that I went through the District Court of the United States in D.C., and I went through five federal judges and five federal prosecutors. We also know that I went into the Court of Appeals, and for roughly eight months, the Appeals Court and the United States Attorney's Office refused to answer my paperwork and refused to acknowledge my paperwork. The Court of Appeals supposedly hired Jenner and Block to come in and to go through my paperwork, to try to explain it to them. They took 280-some pages to explain my 48 pages. All right, Jenner and Block came in and did the argument before the appeals court. Of course, the appeals court did what it did and ruled against me. Jenner and Block turned around and got this before the United States Supreme Court. I was one of 26 that got permission to go before the Supreme Court. The rest of them got turned down. Since Jenner and Block here on May 12th filed a brief in, their brief is on the Second Amendment right. It was just not on the plea agreement. They're also making the issue that any plea agreement that was made against a law that was declared unconstitutional, that plea agreement is null and void. The prosecution cannot force you into a plea agreement when the Supreme Court has ruled that a law is unconstitutional. This case, ladies and gentlemen, is going to have a huge impact. And the reason why, there are four other law groups that has filed into the United States Supreme Court on my behalf with Jenner and Block. These firms have went through my paperwork. These firms are coming back in and they are pointing out that the courts have violated procedures and rules. They're also explaining that when a judge and a prosecutor violates a Supreme Court decision, a Supreme Court ruling, these courts have now lost their jurisdiction. They no longer have the ability to force you into a plea agreement or even keep that hearing going. Because once they violate a Supreme Court decision, they've stepped outside of that jurisdiction. Under the canon rules of judicial conduct, most of them we have found was the short version, but I have found the long version that gets into the description and defines what the rules of canon is all about. What nobody's been able to go back and find until now is the word law, L-A-W. What is law defined as? 
Under the canon rules of judicial procedure, the terminology law is defined as four basic things. Constitutional provisions, statutes, rules of court, and decisional laws. These four things is what these courts are required to come in compliance with. These four things is what the court is not coming in compliance with. These five law firms that is taking this into the Supreme Court is addressing the fact that when a Supreme Court decision is made, these lower courts have to come in compliance or they are in violation of the law of the land. What all does this mean? It means that when you're going into these local courts and you are arguing, I do not need a driver's license because the Supreme Court says I don't have to have one unless I am in commerce, if that judge disregards that ruling, that judge has lost jurisdiction over that court case, that prosecutor has lost jurisdiction, and that police officer has committed a crime out on the street because the Supreme Court ruled that he cannot legally stop you for not having a driver's license. Under the rules of canon, that decisional law is law of the land. That also goes back in under the Constitution, under Article 6, the Supremacy Clause, Supreme Law of the Land. Now, to back that up even further, well, Rod, you're just talking about the canon rules. So big deal. So what? Well, let's look at the federal rules of evidence and the state rules of evidence under 402. 402 sits there and tells you what is admissible in court. What is admissible is the Constitution. What is admissible is the statutes. What is admissible is the rules of court. What is admissible with Supreme Court rulings. They fall right in compliance with the canon rules. Well, that's only two. Well, let's go under 501, under the federal rules and civil rules. What's 501 say? What is admissible? The Constitution is admissible. The statutes are admissible. The rules of court are admissible. Supreme Court decisions are admissible. Ladies and gentlemen, we can walk you through the rules. This is the significance of this D.C. case. The significance was the fact that these five law firms jumped on my side because I went back in on what I have been teaching since 2006 on AIB Radio. You've got to know their rules, know their job, know their language, know congressional intent. Now we're going to add, understand Supreme Court decisions. These law firms are supporting the fact that what I did was correct. These courts have to follow their rules. They have to follow procedures. They have to follow decisional laws. For me to have Jenner and Block is one thing. For me to be able to pull four other law firms or four other legal agencies to support me in D.C., I don't want the names of these people out yet because the United States Attorney's Office is going to have to rebut five amicus curiae, five friends of the courts, and showing whether the United States Attorney's Office cannot do a plea agreement because it shows in each of these documents that there is a 97% c- 
conviction rate on all plea agreements and that the prosecutor has violated the laws in order to process these plea agreements because they have raised the price up in order to get you to plea whenever they know theirself that what they're doing is illegal because the Supreme Court has said you can't do this. We never thought that we would get this far. A lot of people out here who is teaching, you don't need to know administrative rules. You don't need to know their job description. You don't need to know statutes. You don't need to know congressional intent because it doesn't apply to us. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the key word. It does not apply to us. It applies to them. This is their rules of how they're supposed to operate in that courtroom. These five law firms are coming back in and making that very issue. What I have been teaching and what we've been broadcasting over AIB radio over all these years. For the Supreme Court now to come back and change the decision that the Second Amendment in the Heller case and Palmer case, for them to come back and overturn that decision would be a deprimate to them. These law firms brought up very valid points that whenever I was in the appeals court and I filed my paperwork in, the United States Attorney's Office failed to answer my paperwork for almost eight months. When Jenner and Block got in, now they answered Jenner and Block as they started my time all over again. Jenner and Block made this point that Mr. Class followed the rules and that the United States Attorney's Office failed to rebut him after eight months, even though he defaulted them. Part of the paperwork that they put in was all of the documents that we have filed in that were sealed. These sealed files have now been opened up into the Supreme Court. They showed how I challenged the system and even the fact that the judge finally told the prosecutor, don't you think you ought to answer Mr. Klaus's paperwork? They are showing procedural violations. Understanding the administrative side, ladies and gentlemen, if we are forced into the judicial court system, going after them administratively, coming in as a prosecutor, not as a defendant, we're coming in as a prosecutor, we are now showing their procedural violations. We're now bringing up, pursuant to Rule 3, under civil rules, there had to be a complaint, there had to be an affidavit, there had to be a summons or a warrant. Under criminal rules, 3, 4, and 5, it says the same thing. There had to be a complaint, there had to be an affidavit, there either had to be a summons or there had to be a warrant. Under rule 4, probable cause. Under criminal rules of evidence, rule 4. Well, we got probable cause. No, you don't. Did you have a complaint? Did you have an affidavit? Did you have a warrant or summons under probable cause? Ladies and gentlemen, these were the arguments. These were the procedural violations. I've had a lot of people wanting me to defer off of that and argue just strictly Second Amendment. By me arguing not only the Second Amendment, but arguing procedural violations, and this is what these law firms brought up, that Mr. Class brought up the Second Amendment. 
He did the proper process under the Second Amendment of bringing the constitutional side and the unconstitutional behavior of the court system. And I did validate the Second Amendment right. And that I did come in and I did validate procedural and rule violations and put it in writing and put it before the court and it was ignored. These are the arguments that's going up before the Supreme Court. This is going to be a huge case because it's like the prosecutor sit here and told me in the district court. He says, Mr. Klaus, you know you're right. We know you're right. We can't allow you to win because if you were to win, this court case would overturn every court case in this country. And that's exactly what these five law firms are coming back in and saying. This court case would overturn every court case in this country because of the way it was laid out. Because I didn't have a lawyer helping me. I was doing it on my own as a private citizen, but I was doing it as a private attorney general. I was doing it as a prosecutor. The largest law firm in this country has taken on my case as amicus curiae. Four other major firms taken on as amicus curiae. The United States Attorney's Office is going to have to answer sometime around July 17th. They're going to have to respond. It's going to be interesting to see how they backtrack and say, well, Mr. Class, he promised us and he, you know, he, he agreed that he wouldn't sue us and he wouldn't take us to the appeals court. He promised that he wouldn't do this to us. He signed a contract with us. Well, these law firms are saying their contract isn't worth the piece of paper it was written on because they can't charge you under unconstitutional laws and they can't force you into a contract when the law was declared unconstitutional. This is going to be very interesting to see how the United States Attorney's Office tries to fight these five major firms. How many people you know out here has walked five federal judges off the bench, five prosecutors off the bench, and got two of them that had to retire I'm working the administrative cases right now here in North Carolina. I got a county judge, I got a county prosecutor and a state highway patrol up in charges before the Industrial Commission. The Industrial Commission, which is an administrative court for a court of claims, is stating that you cannot use statutes as a item to charge somebody with. You have to show personal injury, personal damage, personal harm, negligence. Do you realize what the Industrial Commission has just put in their paperwork? And I went back and rebutted this, that the state of North Carolina doesn't follow these rules. So because you're sitting here saying that in order to charge anybody that's sitting in jail, that you had to prove negligence, prove injury, personal or property, in order to charge them, the Industrial Commission just hung North Carolina. On the other hand, we have the administrative rulings from the Office of Administrative Hearings saying there's nobody that works here. These are private contractors. They don't work for the state. They're not public officials. The lights are on, but nobody's home. Ladies and gentlemen, the rulings that we're getting across the United States are very similar to these in other states. That they're saying nobody works here. These offices are vacant. I talked to a gentleman here in North Carolina named Art. He turned around in the middle of a DUI checkpoint. 
Before he got there, he turned around and drove off. They stopped him. He is supposed to be giving me the law for North Carolina that says that they cannot legally stop you at a DUI checkpoint if you turn around and go the other way. They have no recourse to stop you. It is against the rules and the laws for them to keep you from avoiding a checkpoint. He brought this law up to the sheriff of his community. The sheriff crapped that we wasn't aware of this. He said, here's the law, that if I don't want to go through your checkpoint, I don't have to. It also is coming out of this is that the DA, the county prosecutor at these checkpoints is sitting in these mobile homes where they're doing the breathalyzer, and he is charging you at that point for the court system. This goes back to the federal funding fraud under Title 23 CFR under Section 1250 for the political subdivision to get its 40%. By the way, we went back and checked that Title 23 Section 1250. They have reserved it for future codification. They've now taken it off the books because we have been hammering on this. They've now changed the law. But under Title 23, USC Code, under 402, Governor's Highway Safety Act, they are still writing off the contract in order for the state to get its 100% in the political subdivision to get its 40% out of that 100. Ladies and gentlemen, we are changing law books. We are making them rewrite the laws. If you go back and look under Title 28, United States Code, 2675, it deals with the fact that they claim that they have absolute immunity, no matter how errors or how negligent that they are. But it has one little word. It says the word unless. After that word, unless, it says, unless you go back to the appropriate agency and bring your claim. It doesn't say bring it before a judicial court system, it says bring it before the appropriate administrative agency if you have a problem with that agency. Ladies and gentlemen, that is your administrative remedy before they drag you into that judicial court system. We are not exhausting our administrative remedies. That's what this D.C. court case was about. Me pushing administrative remedies in this court. Matter of fact, the document that they have shows that I filed for an administrative hearing before an administrative law judge on this. They have posted a lot of my documents before the United States Supreme Court. Like I said, everything that was sealed, they were bringing up and showing before the United States Supreme Court the errors that was being presented and how they were being challenged, not only under the unconstitutional law, but under their job description. I started in 2013 with the D.C. case, and we here on 2017, we're sitting before the United States Supreme Court. Four years later. Let me just tell the folks how significant getting before the Supreme Court is. Everybody knows it's, it's pretty complicated to get there. There are about 8,000 writs of certiorari that are presented to the Supreme Court every year. And out of those 8,000, 
about 80 get heard. That's about 1%. So Rod, through starting his case off pro se back in 2013, the writ of certiorari by Jenner and Block that the court itself had assigned to Rod, here we are in 2017, and we got the word, I guess, in what, January or February, that it was going to be heard in the October or November uh, session. So this is very significant. So in the movement, this is unheard of, that someone in the movement, Rod Class or whoever, is going to be heard before the Supreme Court of the United States. That's significant. And like he said, this was done by pro se. I did this. My attorneys did not do this because they bailed out on me. I fired them. But they left. They just sat there in the courtroom. A petitioner under the Constitution, First Amendment, we have a right to petition. A petitioner has made it this far. All on the foundation of their rules, their job, their language, and congressional intent of what the law and how it was supposed to read. This is significant for our side. Ladies and gentlemen, you stop to think about these other groups out here, what they're doing. How far have they gotten? How many of them are sitting in prison right now because they refuse to, to, to push their rules, their procedures, their job, their language, congressional intent? They refuse to use any of this because it doesn't belong to us. I never claimed it. Matter of fact, I went before the, the district court and I proved none of this belongs to us and it, it belonged to them and it's their rules and their regulations of how they were to operate. Because we brought in the 1925 volume 43 of the statutes at large shows that it stopped on May 4th. We brought in volume 44 of 1925 that shows that it began on December 16th. Anybody with any common sense will sit here and know from March 4th to December 16th, time missing. There's months missing. There's days missing. Congress was missing. And then turn around and pull out of the 1935 Federal Registry Act and the National Industrial Recovery Act that showed that Congress allowed an administrative agency and a president to codify the statutes at large into the United States Code for administrative use only. When we put this before Kessler and the prosecutor, they could not rebut it. They can't rebut it. The United States Code were never to be used on us. It was administrative procedure. This is their rules of how they are to operate. Under Title 18, Section 402, it gets in and it tells you the moment these people violate any rule, any process, any decision of the United States Supreme Court or the United States District Court, they violate any aspect of any of this. This is contempt constituting a crime. These people are looking at a minimum of three to five years because they failed to follow the process, they failed to follow the rules, because Title 18, Section 402 gets in and it defines what their job description is. There is no 12B6, there's no failure to state a claim. 
when they refuse to uphold Supreme Court decisions, these law firms, and there's case law that says when they fail to uphold Supreme Court rulings, they are committing a crime and they gave up their jurisdiction. I went in and I made a distinction between the all-capital Rodney Dale class down to the proper spelling of Rodney Dale class as a private attorney general. We made the distinction on the paperwork to separate the two. I did not stay under that all-cap name. I came back in under the proper name, and we showed that that all-cap name belonged to the estate. It was a ward of the state. It was a trust of the state. It was part of the state. And we made the distinction that I was not that name. We had over 190 dockets, and 50 of those dockets out of that 190 was 50 of you people who came back in and filed as third-party interveners with that notice of felony in the SF-95 against the prosecutor and against the judge. And Jenner and Block put this in the paperwork, that there was felony charges brought against them. We, for our first time here in North Carolina, after about seven people had went through the administrative court, on June 13th and 14th, we have got one of our people before the administrative court in Raleigh, not the Superior Court for review of the administrative. We actually got one of our people before the administrative hearing office over a police department and illegal stops and the violation of Supreme Court rulings that says you don't need a driver's license. Ladies and gentlemen, it's taken us seven times with seven people for us to finally get before the administrative hearing board. One person started the ball. Seven people later, we finally got a hearing before the office that nobody could get before, nobody knew about. We finally got a hearing. They have changed the signs in North Carolina from no firearms to no carry concealed. All because of that DC case. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.